Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us real quick. Uh, God, we thank you just for your word, and we pray that as we not only hear your word, but uh, today uh, as we have a baptism, we get to also see your word preached through this baptism. Uh, I pray that the Holy Spirit would um, actively be working in our hearts, reminding us of your glorious promise in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as I said, we are in a sermon series in the book of Acts, and we're going to take a slight detour today and then circle back to uh, the passage that we were supposed to look at today because we're doing a baptism today. So usually when we have a baptism, uh, I like to just say something about baptism. And to be honest with you, it's like not the, uh, it's not the easiest like, topic to make like super exciting, but uh, excitement doesn't equate importance. Baptism is incredibly important, and I think one of the reasons why I want to talk about baptism is because I get the sense from, like, just the average Christian that baptism is not really, like, seen as, like, uh, a, an important priority for the Christian life. So it's kind of like an add-on. It's like maybe if, uh, if we get to it. And I think that's, like, the common attitude of a lot of uh, folks today. But I guess I just want to, um, and I think part of the reason for that is maybe we don't fully understand or realize the, uh, the, the importance of sacraments and what they are and um, what purpose they serve for the life of the Christian, but also for the life in the church. So uh, I'm going to talk about baptism today. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at this passage and uh, what we did is we focused, this is Peter's sermon, by the way, so after Peter preaches that sermon, after the day of Pentecost, we, right, people are cut to the heart, and like 3,000 people uh, repent and are baptized, they come to believe in the gospel and in Jesus, and so we actually just focus on the work of the Spirit, uh, the, work, uh, the role of the Word, and then also the, the role that our witness has in the work of mission, and even in that sermon, I actually never mentioned a thing about baptism. Uh, so part of the reason why maybe baptism doesn't seem that important is because the preacher doesn't even talk about it when it's there. So this is like my second chance to talk about baptism uh, because baptism actually is integrally related to mission. And when we say mission, I, I do want to be clear on what mission is. What is the mission of the church? And basically at a foundational level, the mission of the church is discipleship. It is to make disciples of all nations, as Jesus says in his final words in Matthew 28, but even when Jesus is commissioning his disciples to make disciples in Matthew 28, he is sure to mention baptism, right? He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so now we kind of fast forward from that moment in Matthew 28, and now we're in like the book of Acts, and we see the very thing that Jesus tells his disciples to do, they are doing. So after the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost, pre Peter preaches his first sermon. After that sermon, Peter is asked, right, brothers, what shall we do? They're, they're asking the disciples, they're asking the apostles after hearing Peter's sermon, brothers, what shall we do? 
And what is his response? He says, repent and be baptized. Now, it's interesting that one of the two things he says they need to do is be baptized. And I think a lot of us would recognize the importance of repentance. Yeah, of course we need to repent. Um, but why baptism? Why is baptism so important? And that's basically the question I want to touch upon in this shorter sermon than usual. And then I want to draw out some implications in terms of what that means for uh, our children. First, what does baptism point to? Now, we are part of a denomination. Uh, this denomination is called the Christian Reformed Church. Being part of a denomination, there are certain documents, confessional documents that we subscribe to, uh, in particular, the officers of the church subscribe to. So if you want to say, oh, what does, uh, what does Sam believe? Uh, you find the summary of what I believe in these confessional documents. That's part of being a denomination, being accountable to what you're teaching theologically. And so one of the confessions is something called the Heidelberg Catechism. And I introduced that a little bit when we had virtual meetings on Zoom and we did like a question and answer. And it was just kind of to give some exposure. Uh, but it's a great document because it really does lay out like a summary of theology in a very simple format in terms of a question and answer form. So I actually thought this would be a good occasion to go back to that and talk about sacraments using the Heidelberg Catechism and look at it in a question and answer format. So in this section, uh, or on the section of sacraments, uh, it begins with a very basic question, and I have a slide up here, so this is question 66. The question is, what are sacraments? And I don't know if any of you ever had a question, what are sacraments? Well, boom, it gives an answer. Sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's gospel promise to grant us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. So in our church, we administer two sacraments. Once a month, we have the Lord's Supper. We have communion once a month. Uh, and then occasionally when, uh, when called for, we also have baptism. So we do baptism and communion. According to this, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is something that is visible, so it's something that you see. We're used to hearing about the promise of the gospel through our ears, right? We hear it. Sacrament is something that you see. It's a holy sign and seal instituted by God so that we can understand more clearly the promise of the gospel. And therefore, it is something that is meant for our encouragement. Every time we see the sacrament, we are meant to be encouraged because we are meant to be reminded of the promise of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us. And there are signs, there are visible signs that are pointing to that promise. So it's a little bit like a wedding ring, right? You see a wedding ring on somebody, what does that tell you? It's a sign pointing to the fact that, oh, that person is married. Uh, if you yourself are married and you look at your wedding ring, um, maybe you Recall the day you made your vows to your spouse. Um, whenever I officiate a wedding, before the bride and the groom exchange rings, I usually say like a, a word or two about what these rings are symbols of, and it's meant to be a symbol of unending love and faithfulness that is supposed to remind this couple that they have made a covenant to one another through the vows that they made through one another, through the promise that they make to one another. And so, 
Uh, a sacrament, I would say, is something similar. It's a sign. It's like a wedding ring. It's supposed to remind us of a covenant that was established between God and us that God himself initiated. The second thing it said was, right, so that's a sacrament is a sign. Second, a sacrament is also a seal. Uh, what kind of seal? Not a, not that kind of seal. Uh, uh, it, might, it might be unusual uh, because, you know, we don't really have seals anymore in our, like, mails and letters. But in the ancient world, you know, if a king wanted to send a letter or a decree, right, there would be kind of like uh, an envelope, and they would take wax and stamp it, and then they would seal it with whatever symbol represented them. And the reason they would do that is because it was a way to authenticate who this letter is from or who this decree is from. This is not a forgery, but this is actually from the king, and you can tell it's confirmed by this seal. Uh, likewise, a sacrament is a seal in that they confirm or validate that the promises of God communicated in this sacrament is actually from God himself. It is not the words of the pastor. Uh, it is not, right, it is not the one who is administering the sacrament. It's not his words that matter, but at the end of the day, the sacrament is showing that this is coming from God himself. So to summarize, sacrament visibly communicates the promise of the gospel, authenticates these promises are true because they come from God. Now, given what a sacrament is, now let's look at baptism. What do the waters of baptism point to? Two things, death and resurrection. Uh, think about all the times water has destroyed things. We just had, um, you know, in the news, a hurricane in the southwest, and if you saw images of what um, that hurricane did, water can destroy things. Think about all the times in the Bible where water has destroyed things. During the days of Noah, humanity had gotten so corrupt, God decided to bring flood waters and destroy everyone. In the Exodus story, Moses lifts up his staff and divides the Red Sea. The sea closes in on the Egyptians, and they all died. So water points to death, judgment, destruction. But water also has a converse meaning. Water also points to resurrection and new life. Even though water destroyed many, Noah and his family, they are saved through the flood waters. And God tells them, be fruitful and multiply, which hark back to the words of creation. So it's as if God is recreating a new world after the flood waters. Even though the Red Sea destroyed the Egyptians, the Israelites, they were saved through the water. So baptism itself also has this double meaning, death and destruction, death and resurrection. Water also has a cleansing effect, and this is what we read in the call to worship. Uh, you know, after playing sports uh, or after a workout, you sweat, and when you sweat, you tend to stink, right? You tend to smell bad. When I was in high school, uh, I played lacrosse, and the worst stink in the world was after playing a lacrosse game in the rain, and everyone walks into the locker room, like in our cleats with like all of our equipment, and there's this like rancid, stinky smell uh, that fills the air in the locker room. How do you remedy that stink? You shower, right? During COVID, we learned how to use water to wash our hands for 20 seconds really well. That's what water does. That's what we know water to do. Likewise, one of the promises of God from Ezekiel 36 is that God's going to sprinkle clean water on us so that we might be clean. And I, I've said this in the past. I think in our culture, the concept of sin is not something that is like as accessible as it used to be. When, when people say sin, it's like, what do you mean by sin? 
But I think people understand the concept of like pollution or dirtiness. And what the gospel does is it cleanses us of our, of our stink. So baptism not only points to the destruction of something, but it also points to the cleansing of something. And what's being cleansed? The promise of the gospel is that we are being cleansed through the blood of Christ and his spirit. So next catechism question. Where does Christ promise that we are washed with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated when Scripture calls baptism the water of rebirth and the washing away of sins. So that's specifically what baptism communicates to us. So baptism as a sacrament reminds us again of Christ's promise in the gospel. It reminds us that Jesus promises to cleanse us of our sin, and it reminds us that Jesus promises to raise us to new life. And we need to be reminded of all of that all the time because it encourages us. Uh, all of us have moments where we feel condemned for something. All of us have moments where we feel guilty because of something. All of us have moments where we feel ashamed because of something. No matter how old you are, you experience these things. We've all gotten into a conflict where maybe we didn't react well or respond well to that con conflict in a loving way. We've all had moments where people just kind of grated on us and then we lost our patience and we kind of lashed out. We've all had moments where we've said things to cut people down. Um, we've all had moments where, you know, we just did not do what we were supposed to do, right? And our response to those moments, uh, well, the bad response to those moments, we just suppress it and ignore it and move on. <laughs> but, um, you know, if the Spirit is alive and at work in us, th there's probably a, a part of us that's saying, oh, that was wrong, right? And I shouldn't have done that. And therefore, I feel something about that, whether it is um, condemnation or guilt or shame. We know that there's a stink on us because of these things, and it leaves us feeling vulnerable and self-conscious and makes us feel dirty. And in those moments, you know what we need to remember? We need to remember our baptism. We need to remember that Jesus promises to cleanse us from that stink. We don't have to feel condemned because there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. We don't have to be real, riddled with guilt because we know that through the cross, Jesus has taken away our guilt because he's taking it upon himself. We don't have to feel shame because we know that Jesus' blood covers our shame. And of course, that's not to say that we shouldn't feel bad or regretful uh, or any of those things, but wallowing in our guilt and shame, it actually tends to hold us back from true repentance, from turning to, to Jesus. And we deal with our guilt and shame in our own ways, uh, which uh, decreases our reliance upon what Jesus has accomplished for us. But when we receive the promises of God in the gospel, it frees us to repent. It frees us to turn to him, to ask for forgiveness, because confessing our sin is no longer something that exacerbates our feelings of guilt and shame, but now it becomes something that frees us, and baptism communicates that to us. So now here's the question that's a little bit more controversial. So I think everything I've said up to this point, uh, a lot of uh, most Christians would affirm. Here's where we're a little bit uh, distinct, or uh, there's a, a little bit of a distinction. Who is baptism for, okay? Who is baptism for? Everyone would agree baptism is for those who repent and believe in the gospel, 
the folks in this sermon were cut to the heart and after Peter's sermon, and they were baptized. Peter says you should be baptized. But notice verse 39 also says, for the promise is for you and for your children. And I'm not saying this verse is the reason why we would baptize infants because it's not, it's not clear cut based on this verse. But I do want you to notice that there is always the inclusion of children when it comes to understanding who the promises of God are for. It's a very similar pattern to the Old Covenant. Children were always included in the covenant community. Uh, for example, during Passover, there was a part of the liturgy where young, the youngest child would be allowed to ask a question about the meaning of Passover. Uh, it's a very intentional because they wanted to be able to pass their faith on to the next generation. So it's not only a way to tell the story of how God rescued Israel from the bondage of slavery, but it's also a way for children to engage with the story in the hopes that it would cultivate their own faith. But it wasn't only the inclusion of children, but one of the covenant signs that communicated the promise of God was actually done to the children, to infants. Uh, it was a sign of circumcision. Now, the young ones, do you know what circumcision is? No? no? Oh, you're in for a rude awakening. Um, if I tell you what it is, you promise not to laugh? <laughs> uh, I think you're old enough to, to learn. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about the sacraments uh, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, parents, I have your permission. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Okay, so circumcision. Uh, today, circumcision is not done in, like, the church, <laughs> but it's usually done in the hospital when you're born, okay? It's done to boys only because boys have... Uh, <laughs> You know, you're, uh, you know how you go to the bathroom, right? And it's, <laughs> I have two daughters, so I guess I haven't had this conversation yet. All right. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it. All right, I'll say it the medical way. All right, boys have a penis, okay? Uh, circumcision for Jewish people, there was like, a, like um, an, a layer of skin around it. And so when Jewish boys were born, like on their eighth day, they would be circumcised, which means like that foreskin would be cut off, okay? Now, I, it's, it's very painful to think about, and the good thing is, like, they're babies when that happens, so they don't remember it. Why would God make peop his people do that? That's the question, right? That's like a very weird, strange thing to do. Why would God make his people to do that? Why would it be a sign of the covenant? It's disgusting. It's bloody. It's uncomfortable. Why make that? Why didn't God just, like, give jewelry, like a wedding ring, right? Saying, like, hey, this is my covenant. Wear this ring. Nope, he makes uh, like these little baby boys go through circumcision. Why? It's because it was bloody and painful and gruesome. What it's supposed to do, it was supposed to signify the consequences of what's called like breaking the covenant. Uh, God makes an agreement with his people, and he's going to be faithful to that agreement, and his people have to be faithful to that agreement, and then the relationship is good, and he will be their God, they will be his people, and what circumcision is meant to show is like, hey, if you break that covenant, uh, then you will be, right, cut off, right, cut off from the covenant community. 
So that's what the sign of circumcision is supposed to communicate. All right, now you all know what circumcision is. Uh, the fact that is, we are all covenant breakers because of our sin, okay? We haven't been faithful to the covenant that God has established with us, and therefore the sign of circumcision points to the fact we should be judged. We should be cut off from God. We should be cut off from his community. Uh, but here's where the beauty of the gospel comes in, right? We are now under this new covenant, and the gospel tells us even though we are covenant breakers, God doesn't cut us off from his community. God doesn't cut us off from himself, but he now gives us a wonderful promise. Why? Because Jesus, and this is what it says in the Bible, so if you look at like in the book of Colossians, Jesus experienced a kind of circumcision, not, not physical circumcision, but Paul calls it a circumcision when he died on the cross. Why was Jesus' death on the cross his circumcision? Because he experienced being cut off from his father. Because Jesus was circumcised in the sense that he was cut off because of our sin, we now get to receive all the benefits of salvation of his perfect life. And this is the wonderful gospel message that we profess to believe. Now, in that same passage, Paul also says Jesus was buried in baptism. So he makes this connection between circumcision and baptism when Jesus died on the cross. So Jesus' baptism is different from the baptism that you're going to see today. But Jesus, in his baptism, received the judgment. Remember I said baptism has two meanings, death and resurrection. He received the death part of his baptism. He received the judgment for our sins upon the cross, um, and he was buried in baptism when he died on the cross. Now, the question is, is there any kind of um, connection between the old covenant of circumcision and what we do in baptism and I would say yes. I would say there is continuity. I mean, there's, of course, discontinuity because now it's not just um, like male boys who experience, right, the, the sacrament, but now uh, male and female infants can receive the sacrament of baptism. And what is that supposed to communicate? Well, actually, let me, let me read the Heidelberg Catechism. Okay, so 74, should infants also be baptized? Yes, infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people. And they no less than adults are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who produces faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. This is why we baptize infants. Now, what's the implication of baptizing infants? We're not saying uh, if you're a baby and you get baptized, then um, salvation is conferred upon the baby, right? They still have to generate and develop their own sense of faith and trust in God. They still have to profess Christ in their own hearts. But here's what it does mean. It means that just as the promises of God are for adults who profess faith in Christ, the promises of God are for our children too. They too are members of the covenant community. And therefore, they are to be included in the life and faith of 
the community and be exposed to the promises offered in the gospel to them as often as possible. That's why in the beginning of our service, we have all the kids join us in worship. Uh, it's not the easiest thing to do, but here's what we're, we're saying. <clears throat> They're meaningful parts of our community. I make this mistake all the time, right? When you calculate like, things like ch- how many chairs to set up or how, many, like, how much food we need, like, I just think about the adults sometimes, and I go, oh, actually, right, the kids take up a seat too. The kids uh, are a mouth to feed too. Um, <clears throat> what we're saying through baptism of our infants is they are meaningful members of this church, of this body. And they are in worship, not because they understand what's going on, but because we are exposing them as much as possible to uh, the promises of God in the gospel. Uh, they, they, go for, they leave for the sermon because it's probably just like a practical thing, and uh, they will probably get super bored with my sermon. I mean, I'm sure you all are super bored with my sermon too, uh, but <clears throat> they'll get like super bored and you know, maybe they won't learn as much. So for practical purposes, we have them go do like an age-appropriate lesson. But <clears throat> when we do the sacraments, we want them to come back in and see what's going on. When we do the baptism, we're going to have them come back in and see what's going on. Why? Because we want them to be exposed to the promises of God as much as possible. So here's what, <clears throat> here's what baptizing uh, infants tells us, okay? The congregation, you will take a vow... And that vow is that you will undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of our covenant children. Uh, The parents are the main ones who are charged with the role of discipleship and discipling their children, but they don't do it alone. We have a community, and it takes a community to raise a child in the faith. So we have a community, and all of us are making a vow to partake in raising up uh, not just our biological children, but they are our children spiritually in a sense um, because of their baptism. We're making a vow to raise up all of our children in the faith. So baptism shows us that the promise of God, the promise of the gospel is, you know, for us as adults, but also it's for our children. And just as Peter says in his sermon, it shows us the promise that our sins are cleansed through the blood of Christ Uh, It shows us that our children are part of this covenant community, meaningful parts of this covenant community, where both parents and children uh, commit to the undertaking of the task of discipleship, whether it's to people outside the church or whether it's even to the children within the church. And together, we are encouraging one another, exemplifying to one another, teaching one another what it looks like to rest and rely on the promises of God that he's given us in the gospel. And that's why we do baptism. That's why baptism is important. Um, Martin Luther, when he struggled spiritually, he would, one of his words of counsel, remember your baptism. Why? Because of what baptism signifies to us. Um, when your children are struggling in the future and they're saying, oh, I'm just a, I don't know if they would say this. Let's say, they, oh, I'm just a, a, a horrible person. And you say, well, remember your baptism. God loves you, and he's promised something meaningful to you, important to you, and that's what's important, okay? So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to have our our family come up, and Caleb's going to be baptized today, and we'll do the baptism. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you for uh, the sacrament of baptism, and, you know, sometimes uh, when words are inadequate to really communicate uh, something in a powerful way, uh, you give us a gift of sacraments. Uh, You give us... 
uh, baptism and communion. And we get to see your promises visually, and we get to see the signs of uh, what these promises point to. And so as we see baptism today, um, you know, I, I pray you remind us of the powerful promise that you have given to all of us in Christ through your gospel, uh, the promise that we would be cleansed from our sin, the promise that you give us new life and resurrection, uh, also the promise that you destroy uh, the old self, uh, the, the sinful self, the, the, the fleshly self, um, and you give us uh, new hearts, new lives uh, through your spirit. Uh, as we um, you know, baptize Caleb today, I pray that uh, all of us would be encouraged um, because of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.